Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Today's podcast was inspired by a series of conversations that myself and Beverly had with a group of people. We were doing some Q&A with some folks that we'd been mentoring and helping and some marriage stuff and up came business stuff and finance stuff and so on and so forth. And we kept being asked different questions. You know, you're pretty happily married here at 30 years in. You got six kids. You had all this pressure. Brian used to travel all the time and you have this big business and you have this and you have that. And how has it kind of worked for you? Well, we had the conversation over and over with people. One way or the other, Beverly or I would mention the word flexibility in our life together. You got to be flexible. And as you go through your business, I've been through mega recessions and major changes in the marketplace and talk about being flexible and pivoting business strategies. And a lot of these questions came up constantly. You know, how do you deal with this and how do you deal with that? And being flexible was one of the answers. And so sure enough, one of the people in the class said, I'd love you guys to do a podcast on this. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe. And then I started asking more people and asking more people, talk to some coaches and so on and so forth at the company. So here it is. And today's podcast is entitled Flexibility Equals Freedom. Flexibility Equals Freedom. Freedom is something we all want. Freedom is something we all want more of. The feeling of being free is something we all want to have. And one of the ways to get there is flexibility. So here's my three points for you today. First thing I want to talk about, why are we so rigid, right? So if I'm saying flexibility is so powerful, we have to talk about the opposite, which is why are we rigid? Why do we get so stuck? The second thing we're going to talk about is actual adjusting and pivoting. Adjusting and pivoting, which is both strategic and tactical. Adjusting and pivoting. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about living in a state of flow which is the ultimate expression of the flexible life and the freedom that comes with it is you get to live in a state of flow. So let's talk about the opposite of flexible. Let's talk about why we're so rigid. Well, there's a couple of components to this. And the first component to this is called homeostasis. Now, homeostasis is first and foremost a biological term towards the physiology of the human body and of any living being. But you'll see how it has massive applications in the psychological realm. So homeostasis, by definition, says the tendency towards a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially as maintained by physiological processes. Well, boy, what a mouthful that is, right? And so I wasn't the greatest science student in school, and I certainly didn't get any PhD in biology. However, What homeostasis is all about is something I'm very familiar with as a person who wanted to grow, as a person who wanted to develop, and as a person who's now been leading a company and a culture of growth and development for the best part of 25 years. Homeostasis is something I come in contact with all the time. So in the biological term, homeostasis is a tendency for organisms to maintain internal equilibrium. And the word to really focus there is equilibrium. So, for example, physiologically, it's hunger, thirst, the need for sleep, 
uh, the need for the body to regulate its own temperature, right? When we're, when we're under attack, we develop a fever. That's the body trying to re-regulate its temperature. So we get the fever because the body's trying to fight, right? And it's trying to, trying to get back to this stasis, this homeostasis. And homeostasis also drives our behaviors. The best way I could describe it is like a homing pigeon. And that homing pigeons are trained that no matter what they do or where they are or where they're released from, they're trained to go all the way back to where they came from. Go back to where you came from. Human beings have this in spades because we desire to go back to what we know, back to what is familiar, back to where we feel safe. By the way, safe doesn't mean safety. It means what we know. One of the greatest examples of homeostasis is from my favorite movie, The Shawshank Redemption. So in The Shawshank Redemption, we meet this kind of lovable character who did a terrible crime years and years ago, but now he's an old man. His name is Brooks Hadlin. He served 52 years of a prison sentence. And finally, a beloved character, a man of renown in the jail, he's the jail librarian, he's released. And he's released into society. So now think about this. He's released from prison into freedom. But that freedom, because of homeostasis, was worse than the prison. And if you've ever seen the movie, which I know most of you have, Brooks, he goes to work in a grocery store. He gets to live in a halfway house, so on and so forth. What does he do? He takes his own life. He takes his own life because being out of a prison was a lack of freedom for him. In fact, being in prison with no rights and no freedoms of his own were ultimately his comfort zone. That was his homeostasis. And that is why it is so hard to change as a human being. Even if it's bad, it's what we know. They used to say in Ireland this way, or my mother particularly used to say, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. We go to what we know because it gives us safety. It gives us confidence. It gives us security, even if it's bad. Sometimes in terrible situations. I've had situations where I've seen ladies who are married to a real bad dude who did real bad things. And once things settled down, this lady would go back to this bad dude constantly. And no matter what you did or how you talked to him or how you tried to counsel him, it didn't matter because the fight for homeostasis was so strong. So we have to understand that no matter what it is, we have a built-in anti-growth, anti-development gene inside us that's called homeostasis. That's why when you try something new, when you develop a new habit, there's an old habit screaming louder to come back. That's why it's coaching, not coached. That's why it's an ongoing process. That's why I believe in training, not trained. You have to have this ING. You have to continue to go. You have to continue to develop. I, I will say this. I have habits that I have unconsciously taken on board since I was a teenager in Ireland. Remember, I was 19 when I left home. So I am 35 years living in America. And yet, when I'm not being intentional, when I'm not being on purpose, I have habits and practices that just default back to being a teenager in Ireland. And let me say this, being a teenager in Ireland 35 years ago, I have a lot of different responsibilities and, and things that are expected of me today where I have to be very conscious to not just do those things. Or not just, oh yeah, that's how my dad used to do things, so that's how I do things. That's how our family used to do things, so that's how I do things. Uh, that's how I used to treat food. That's how I used to treat money. That's how I used to treat exercise. 
Let me say this to you. Homeostasis is the single biggest enemy to personal growth and development. So that means that this flexibility I'm talking about and this flexibility mindset can actually be one of the greatest gifts you get to embrace, to use, to change your life for the better. John Bradshaw, an American professor, says, dynamic homeostasis means that whenever a part of the system is out of balance, the rest of the members of the system will try to bring it back into balance. So where does it go? Well, most of us don't know the term homeostasis per se, but we sure as heck know the phrase comfort zone. And that's what happens. A comfort zone is a psychological state in which things feel familiar to a person and they are at ease and in control of their environment, experiencing low levels of anxiety and stress. And I've been teaching on the comfort zone for years. When I have people set goals, and I've had 3 million people in 37 countries in live events set goals with me, and I always get the feedback. It's the most life-changing, transformative part of anything we've ever done at our events. And I always encourage people to write goals beyond their reach, beyond what they know. You know, if you just write a goal and you already know what to do and how to do it and you've done it before, that's a checklist. That's not a goal. So writing a goal that's aspirational by very nature stretches you out of your comfort zone. What are we doing when you get out of your comfort zone? Homeostasis is going, hey, this is out of my comfort zone. This is unsafe. We got to get back. And so we have to absolutely set goals and grow and read and get input, association and affirmation to make these kinds of changes. The great Brian Tracy says the comfort zone is the great enemy of courage and confidence. Jack Canfield, who co-authored Chicken Soup for the Soul series, said most everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. That's what's so wild about this. Just outside of what you know, just outside of what makes you feel safe is everything you need. Let me say this. I know this. people are going to think this is baloney. I used to have a fear of public speaking. That's a true statement. And so I got out of my comfort zone. That's why you go do something out of your comfort zone. You get nervous and you get a little anxiety and you get the sweaty palms and you get the dry throat. I ain't going to tell that to you. Now, it became that after 25 years, I probably am nowhere more comfortable than being on a stage with 5,000 people. That's probably my ultimate comfort zone today. But 25 years ago, talking to 10 people in a room, oh, Brutal. So your comfort zone can expand. Your comfort zone can grow. Peter McWilliams says comfort zones are most often expanded through discomfort. Neil Donald Walsh says life actually begins at the end of your comfort zone. So I'm just going to say this to you. Homeostasis, whether you're aware of it or not, it is that which you're comfortable with. People get comfortable being in debt. You know the amount of people who've come to our program, set a budget for the first time, started doing our lead generation activities, grew their income, and got debt-free? Do you know how many of them found a way to get back in debt within another 12 months? And the coaches are pushing and prodding and pulling and helping. And ultimately, the reason why coaching is so powerful is that it's this gentle, firm, dependable, consistent accountability to pull people out of their homeostasis, pull them out of their comfort zone, to establish a new comfort zone. It takes years for someone who used to be in debt all the time to become comfortable being debt-free. And then where the new comfort zone is, where I'm uncomfortable ever being in debt again. My comfort zone used to be a very small little house where there was eight of us living, five boys in a nine-by-nine bedroom, 
10 people on the weekends, 720 square foot house. That was my comfort zone. When I came to America, I remember when I bought a house for me, Bev, and we had two kids, a boy and a girl, and they had their own bedrooms. I remember being anxious and nervous and concerned that my kids wouldn't grow up right or the right way if they didn't share a room the way I did with my four stinky brothers. That somehow inhaling vast quantities of methane all hours of the night was actually the key to great celebratory family. You know, the fact of the matter is I had to learn to be comfortable. By the way, when I started making money, I had to learn to become comfortable with money. I will say to you, I wasn't. And I would justify things with, okay, we're buying an investment property or we're making this investment. Beverly said to me after a few years of marriage, she said, you know, you're not comfortable having money in the bank. You always got to put it to work. And I, well, that's how you make a fortune. That's how you build it. And I've read all the books. She goes, yeah, I know. But she goes, why don't you try to have money in the bank you don't touch for six months? You know, my wife Beverly was raised as a daughter in the Air Force. And so her dad was a master chief in the Air Force. So she still had a credit union account with Maxwell Air Force Credit Union. Now, what was great about that is we could put the money in her name. I couldn't touch it because I couldn't go on the base. They wouldn't talk to me. I had no Air Force affiliation. So we, I said to her, watch this. Well, I'll show you how I, this is not a big deal for me. And we put, at that time, a very large part of our savings into this account. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I made a commitment to do that for six months. During the course of the next six months, more good real estate deals came my way than I can ever remember in my life. I mean, like, one of them was this surefire, can't miss, buy, fix, turn, flip apartment building that we would have doubled our money. But I had made this promise. And I can't tell you how many times I wanted to do something or I came up with a creative idea to do something with that money. And eventually, about three, four months into it, I said, okay, I'm just going to give up because I said I'd do it for six months. I'm going to forget that it's there. That money stayed in that bank account for five years. I had to learn to be comfortable with having money. It was an example because I grew up with none. So I had to expand my comfort zone. I had to learn to become comfortable selling the amount of homes I was selling. I had to become comfortable living in the bigger house. I had to become comfortable with things that I wanted, but I had to learn to establish it as my new comfort zone. The third part of why we're so rigid is fear, and it's fear of the future that paralyzes us. One study showed that clinical psychology and psychotherapy found that 85% of things we worry about never occur. Okay, This is a long time. Okay, In the 1500s, uh, a philosopher named Michael de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Isn't that so true? Winston Churchill said, have no fear of the future. Let us go forward into its mysteries. Tear away the veils which hide it from our eyes and move onwards with confidence and courage. Powerful stuff. That fear of the future paralyzes us. Zig Ziglar used to call fear the F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. So many fears we have, so many apprehensions. And by the way, in the world we live in today, in the drama queen world of clickbait and newsbait and outspoken politicians and people where the most dramatic outlandish statements are now mainstays, it's very easy to be fearful and fearful of the future. So what does it make us do? I need to stay put. I need to stay where I am. I'm just fearful. Okay? Plato, a long time ago, said, courage is knowing what not to fear. That's the power of this. So flexibility equals freedom. 
homeostasis, we have a built-in system. That's like a a built-in homing pigeon inside us that says, I don't want to change. I don't want anything to change. I don't even want my circumstances to change. I don't care how bad things are. I just want the devil I know I want to keep. And if you're a person who's listening to this podcast, you have, you have a lot of things you could be doing. You could be listening to music. You could be listening to the radio. You could be doing a lot of things. Why are you listening to this podcast? More than likely because you're a person who wants to grow. And so we really need to establish a new comfort zone. And we need to make sure that we don't get paralyzed by the fear of the future. So let's, let's get down to that, right? How, how about we get down to the solution side of things? How do we become more flexible? Well, here it is. It's about adjusting and pivoting adjusting and pivoting, which is both strategic and tactical for those of you who are a little more business-minded or planning-minded. When it comes to planning, you write your principles in pen, but you write your plans in pencil. You write your principles in pen, but you write your plans in pencil. So let me give you an example. Principles don't change. You know, 7,000 years ago, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, Ten Principles. Principles don't change. It was a pretty good idea 7,000 years ago not to kill your neighbor. And it's still a pretty good idea right now. Those are principles. Those 10 principles have withstood the test of time. Principles don't change. I just think it's nice to know what can you count on. Principles don't change. That's why at Buffini Company, we have a set of principles we call our core values. Our core values are live what we teach, practice servant leadership, excellence is our minimum standard. Those core values, which have a whole bunch of teaching points underneath each one, show us exactly how we're going to live, how we're going to work, how we're going to treat one another, what our standards are. You know, I've mentioned many times the principle behind Buffini and company painting and decorating. Can you put your name to that? I heard that when I was eight years old. By the way, my dad heard that when he was eight years old. Those are principles that have held up. Can you put your name to that work? These core values... I established these core values 25 years ago. My brother Dermot, who's the CEO of the company, we just had a conversation about this the other day. And he was dealing with a number of different issues with the staff and the org chart. And he said, you know, the easiest thing in the world to do is run this company because we just constantly reconfigure back to the core values. And there's acceptable levels of behavior and there's, there's unacceptable levels of behavior. There's acceptable ways for our staff to treat one another and treat our clients and there's unacceptable ways. See, there's things that you can count on. So just because you're flexible doesn't mean there's nothing you can count on. You can count on the principles. Now, the plans, the plans we write in pencil. Why? There used to be a phrase that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, okay? Now, the reason being is this. You want to make plans and you want to write your plans, but you want to hold your plans with an open hand, okay? You know, uh, my wife always says, give God the eraser, Brian, okay? You write your plans in pencil, but give God the eraser. And the reason being is that we need plans that are established, but there's a difference between plan and planning. See, there's that I-N-G again. See, plan, definitive. Coached, trained, definitive. Coaching, that's adjusting. Training, that's growing. Planning. Dwight D. Eisenhower, okay, who may have put together the greatest plan in the history of mankind. I was just watching a, a war movie the other night, a documentary and showing 5,000 ships as part of the Normandy landing, okay? Over a million men involved. The most audacious plan in the history of all mankind. And he says this, plans are nothing. 
planning is everything. Plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Imagine this. They spent three years planning the D-Day landings. And what happened? It was supposed to take place June 4th, 1944. Well, guess what? Mother Nature didn't cooperate. High seas, tremendous surf, fog, rain, terrible weather, didn't cooperate, didn't cooperate. And they had to make these decisions and make these adjustments. And these decisions were how many hundreds of thousands of men were going to die. Now, I've never had a decision like that in my life. But that's where plans are nothing. Planning is everything. They were constantly planning and constantly revising. And obviously, they eventually made some good decisions. We have to really, really be willing to let God use the eraser. Our circumstances use the eraser. We're committed to planning. And we just don't have to have the plan. So our security and identity is not in the plan. Dennis Waitley, the performance guru, says, you must welcome change as the rule, but not as the ruler. Long time ago, Herculeitus said, there is nothing permanent except change. We know these phrases. So what do we do? Principles in pen, plans in pencil. That's a key ingredient there. The next thing we need to do to be flexible is track and review. Track and review. We have to track. If we don't track, we can't know the progress we're making. We can't improve. Lord Calvin, who created the, the Calvin scale, said if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. And so the fact of the matter is sometimes the results don't come. You have to do the activities. By the way, this is true. Let's say you're trying to get healthier, lose weight. Well, you can track how many days you did the workouts, how much exercise you're doing. You can track what you're eating. You can track what you're not eating. The only thing people normally track is their weight on a weight scale. Well, it's not always the best feedback. So that's why we need to track and review. That's why as part of our coaching and training program, a number of years ago, we built the Referral Maker Contact Management System so that people could track their activities, track what they're doing, track their database. And that CRM has won several awards, the Tech 100 Awards, the last few years. So it's been fabulously reviewed. Why? Because it allows people to simply and effortlessly track their activities and what they're doing. And what we found is this. There's a direct correlation to the number of people who track their activities and the people who achieve their goals. People are twice more likely to achieve their goals if they track their activities. That's what we have to do. So we want to track and review what we're doing. Les Brown, my good friend, says, review your goals twice every day in order to be focused on achieving them. Okay? What's a great thing to do there? Read your goals first thing in the morning. Read your goals last thing at night. That's better than reading the news or reading some clickbait. Peter Drucker, again, the originator of the management consulting coach, he said, what gets measured gets managed. Okay? So first thing, we're adjusting and pivoting by putting our principles in pen, our plans in pencil. We're tracking and reviewing. Then we're doing what really makes us flexible is we're making adjustments. Just making adjustments. And that's how you need to view it. Rather than this big, scary, transformational thing, it's just you're making little adjustments. One little thing at a time. Small changes. We have recommended a book in the past called The Kaizen Way. How one small step can change your life. Just small little adjustments. That's how you do it. My friend and mentor Zig Ziglar says, as you head towards your goals, be prepared to make some slight adjustments to your course. You don't change your decision to go. You do change your decision on how you get there. Okay? Again, Churchill said, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. 
That's all. And it's small and it's slight. And oh, by the way, when you make small changes, it tends not to engage the fight or flight of homeostasis. It becomes more comfortable. It's just an adjustment. It's just an adjustment. My friend Nick Vujicic says adjustments are necessary along the way because life isn't always rosy, but it's always worth living. No question about it. So we talk about flexibility equals freedom. We talked about being rigid and we've talked about adjusting and pivoting. And now I want to finish up with the payoff. What's the payoff? It's living in a state of flow. Living in a state of flow. And the best example I can give you of this is what is referred to as sea legs. I don't know if you've ever gone out on the ocean, if you had a chance to do that. If you do, uh, for example, out of San Diego, they do a lot of these half-day and one-day sports fishing adventures. And I have a nephew who's a great fisherman. So he's always pushing me to go out there. And I'm not much of a fisherman, but okay, you know, for camaraderie purposes, I'll go. And what you find is when you first get out on the sea, you know, you, you can feel woozy, you can feel a little seasick. Why? Because no matter how big a vessel you're on, it makes adjustments to the waves and you go up and down. So people get seasick. Why? Because of this constant motion. And it's a classic example of your brain looking for homeostasis and what's normal. You want the ground not to move underneath you. And what happens after you adjust and adjust and adjust and you get more comfortable, you get what's called your sea legs. And your sea legs is you learn to have small little adjustments in, in how you walk. Kind of your knees give a little bit and you're, you're used to the adjustment of the deck dropping below you a couple inches and so on and so forth. And you develop your sea legs to the point that if you go out on a boat, out on the ocean for a day, when you come back and walk on dry land, what happens? It feels off. You, you feel like you're about to fall down. Why? Because you've gotten your sea legs. Well, guess what? In life, you can develop sea legs so that you can effortlessly adjust. When I see the guys that run the uh, one-day boats and the, the captain of the ship, they just walk seamlessly, cool as a breeze. It's like you could, you could balance a cup on their head. Well, that's how we want to be living in a state of flow, that we develop our sea legs, that we don't fight each wave of change or adjustment or challenge or setback. But ultimately, we learn how to ride the wave. We become fluid and adaptive to the change. We develop our sea legs, and that's what we want to do. Max McCown, he was a writer, and he said, adaptability is about the powerful difference between adapting to cope and adapting to win. We learn how to adapt to cope, but we also have to learn how to adapt to win, to be successful. So that first stage of living in a state of flow, sea legs. Next stage, engaging your creativity. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I was told by a teacher at a young age, I didn't have a creative bone in my body, was the phrase. And it was a, a, a public school teacher in Ireland. He said it with great authority. So I believed him. So I believed that I was not a creative person or I didn't have a creative bone in my body. In fact, I used to state that all the time. I don't have a creative bone in my body. Now, that statement was based on the fact that he didn't like my handwriting. And he felt that my handwriting was not attractive enough. And therefore, because I, I wasn't able to have nice handwriting, I couldn't draw. And because I couldn't draw, I wasn't creative. And this person said something to me because he was an authority figure. I took it as gospel. And I used to say to people, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Now, I want you to think about this. I have an entire building in our complex here that's dedicated to creating content. And I am the lead content creator 
for that entire building. I have several teams of people. I create training programs. I create seminars. Every one of these podcasts, you know, I'm not coming up here reading a paragraph out of somebody's book. That what I'm talking about today it was created content. My entire life is creativity. But I bought into someone else's lie about me and because I didn't understand what creativity was till much later in life. So, for example, what happened was I got feedback when I was a practicing real estate agent and someone said to me, boy, you really come up with a creative solution to our problem. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not that creative. Oh, no, that was really creative. And then I started studying creativity and what it actually meant and so much of creativity. Yes, creativity can be drawing and art and design and all that stuff. And yes, it also is the ability to be able to bring solutions to a problem. And I found out, guess what? I have this massive wealth of creativity, just like you do. See, I believe in a creator. And when you have a creator, he creates. And what did he create? Mankind. And what did he do? He created mankind in his own image. Therefore, every human being has creativity built inside. It's a matter of finding your creativity, understanding your creativity, and then engaging your creativity, whether it's problem solving, whether it's an ability to think differently than other people, whether it's a way to approach something. And then maybe it is something that gives you true creative license and engages in something that's beautiful or insightful or practical. But engage your creativity. Maya Angelou said you can't use up your creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Such a wise woman, such a creative woman. Earl Nightingale said, Creativity is a natural extension of your enthusiasm. And seeing as I'm broadcasting to you today from our Nightingale studio, I thought it'd be appropriate to have that quote in there today. How about Albert Einstein? Okay. Now, again, there's a guy, a pretty brilliant, intelligent man who was told in school he was a fool. He was held back in school. They said he had a learning disability and now is considered one of the smartest men that ever lived. And he said this, Creativity is intelligence having fun. We want to live in this state of flow. We want to engage our creativity. And here's one of the ways to do this, to get into this flow state. A brilliant book written by a Nobel Prize winner, Czechoslovakian. I got a chance to take a few classes from him at the University of Chicago. His name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And he wrote a best-selling book called Flow. Now, it's an ordeal, that book. It's a lot to read, but I will tell you, there is some sweet concepts and points in that book that are life-changing. And basically, he studied people not only of great creativity, but of production and performance. He saw how people could get into this state of flow, like an athlete being in the zone, as they said. And for him, flow was defined this way, a state of flow in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience is so enjoyable that people will continue to do it, even at great cost, for the sheer sake of doing it. A state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience is so enjoyable that people will continue to do it even at great cost for the sheer sake of doing it. We want to get into that state of flow. And so one of the ways that I took from that book and that class and put it into goal writing was to play soft classical Baroque style music. And one of the reasons is you have your linear logical side, the left side, the left side of your brain and the creative side of your brain is the right side, which can also be the distraction side. So you play soft classical Baroque style music to relax the right side of your brain, allowing the linear logical side to go to work and actually be creative. And when you can make the left side of your brain creative, phenomenal things happen. 
And so that was a great gift I got from Flo, and that's something I introduced to my audiences worldwide for the past 25 years. And that's why whenever I have people set goals, I play this soft classical music. And it's designed to kind of just get people into that zone. And so many people have told me the goal-setting sessions they've done with us over the years and then the subsequent coaching to go pursue those goals has been the change in their life. And it's about getting into that state of flow. Steve Kotler, who wrote the book The Rise of Superman, says time slows down, self vanishes, action and awareness merge. Welcome to flow. Bruce Lee said, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. So what do we want? We want to be flexible. Why? Because flexibility equals freedom. We found out that we're rigid, that there's homeostasis, that there's a comfort zone, and that it's naturally built in that we have to overcome these things to actually become successful, to actually enter into what can be this free life where we're fully using our gifts and fully expressing ourselves. We learned about adjusting and pivoting, and we learned about principles in pen and plans in pencil. We learned about tracking and reviewing and making adjustments. And we talked about living in a state of flow where we develop our sea legs and use our creativity and ultimately get to feel the flow. I'm going to finish up with a great example of living in this state of flow and where freedom actually comes from. One of my wife's all-time favorite movies is Chariots of Fire. And as many of you know, my wife pursued her Olympic dream as a volleyball player. I played on the national team for the U.S. for four years. And as a woman of deep faith, found great inspiration in the movie Chariots of Fire, where, based on a true story, uh, Eric Little, who was the son of missionaries, who grew up in China, but his parents are Scottish, he went back to Scotland, played rugby for Scotland, and eventually gets into this conflict between his faith and his pursuit of his Olympic dream, and decides not to run the 100 meters in Paris over a conviction. Well, this dynamic is he was getting hit from all sides, including his sister, She was rigid as well, rigid from principles. She had religious rigidity. And she's like, Eric, you're not with us anymore. Your head's not with us. It's all about you. He was getting heat from the Olympic Committee. He's getting heat from actually the the King of England. And now he's getting heat from his family because he's trying to run. On one hand, he won't run enough for the King of England. And on the other hand, he's running too much for his religious sister. And finally, he answers all the critics in a conversation, just a heartfelt conversation with his sister. And he finally says to her, look, you you don't understand, Ginny. He said, God gave me the ability to run and to run fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I will say this to you, is that when you run inside your gifts without fear, without rigidity, in this state of flow, using your creativity, your work life, your home life, everything will feel like a state of flow. And when you're in that state of flow, you'll feel God's pleasure. And that's my hope and prayer for all of you. Flexibility equals freedom. One of the dynamics I teach of so many routines and how-tos is that the economic success and the consistency of performance has allowed me the freedom and flexibility to do what I want to do in life. And I got to say this, one of the most free things in my life is whenever I get a chance to sit down in this studio and come to you and bring this podcast to life. I've been asked many times, I've been doing this podcast for four years. We've just hit 10 million downloads. We don't run any ads. We don't sell anything. Why you do this thing, Brian? Now, the, the mission of Buffini Company is to impact and improve the lives of people. 
But ultimately, for me, when I get a chance to do what I do, the way I do it, I get to feel God's pleasure myself by trying to help someone like you. So I thank you for being a regular listener. I thank you for being someone who's told a friend or shared one of our podcasts with someone who might benefit from the information. I will say this, the application of this particular podcast is in my work life, the very example of flexibility equals freedom. I had to get out of my comfort zone, had to stretch from what I knew. I was very good on stage and I had to go learn something new over here. And I'm still learning it, by the way. Uh, But I want to share with you that it is a good life and that when you lean into the gifts God's given you, the way in which they're designed to be used, that flexibility equals freedom and that freedom feels like God's pleasure in your life. Well, I hope this has been beneficial for you today. I hope it can help you be a little more flexible and a little more free. For someone who's been very flexible her whole life and is the very definition of our free spirit, here's my mom, Therese, with a little Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.